0: Now, I'm delighted to be joined in studio um, by one of Ireland's top crime reporters, Nicola Talent. How are you, Nicola? I'm
1: good, thank you, Mario. It's great to get back to normal and come (laughs) into studio, isn't it? It is, it sure is.
0: Now, I think this is my first time meeting you, and I was slightly scared and slightly, I'm I'm really (laughs) surprised and energized now by having met you, and you're so smiley. I'm
1: not too scary.
0: And you're not scary at all, and you're nice, because normally what happens is, it might be a Sunday morning, and you might be having your cross on at home, and the radio might be on, and then suddenly I'd hear this drone... (laughs) I'm Nicola Talent. I'm coming after your cross on because the scumbag that is Mario, the Badger Rosenstock. We reveal who he is and the scum that he produces on the radio. The Badger. He's going to get your cross on today. Only in the Sunday World. So thankfully, you're not like no, that. Not. <laughs> no. So I'm just trying to soften you up yeah, because I know that's... that really your life revolves around sharing. Really, really terrifyingly grim stories about the world around you. I hope it doesn't thwart or gnarl your brain.
1: Maybe it probably does, but, you know, then you just find that normal to yourself, so it's fine. Yeah, it's a pretty grim, dark world there. Um, now, look, there can be moments of humour in it, and you have to approach it sometimes with a little bit of humour as well. Um, there can be very interesting characters that you meet, and there can be some scary ones, and... Um, yeah, there's 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 every class of humanity in the underworld the same as in the in the regular world.
0: Mm. Your new book, um, Nicola, is called The Witness. Yes, and it concerns uh, the life of one Joey the Lips O'Callaghan. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm presuming the Lips is coming from the commitments, is it? Joey the, no, lips. the
1: lips is actually a name. A lot of uh, there would be a lot of people nickname that. Usually when they um, tout, when they rat, is with the words they use, or when they give evidence in court against somebody else, they'll nearly all be called the lips. That goes back to there's some mafiosa in New York called the lips. In Joey's case, he was, when he was a young child, he just happened to have big rosy lips and he was christened that. It turned out that his name did become quite relevant to him because he did indeed become one of the people in the underworld that broke the code of Omerta and, um, and touted, told, you know.
0: His is a fascinating story. Tell Mm. us about his beginnings and his evolution as a criminal and then as a witness.
1: Yeah, he would have been born into a pretty underprivileged family, which is something that you can trace a lot of criminals back to not getting a particularly good start in life. Now, Joey as such wouldn't be a classic criminal and never was. He was more so a child that was groomed into a criminal gang um, by a very manipulating uh, gang boss known as Brian Kenny. Brian Kenny was running a milk round, Um, he was delivering heroin but also milk and uh, Joey got a job on his milk float around when he was 12.
0: And around where?
1: Around the Blanchardstown area. He had been brought up in Ballymun but his mother had saved and saved and saved doing cleaning jobs, working at night etc. to try and get the family out of Ballymun to give them a better start really and move to Blanchardstown and unfortunately that's where a sort of cataclysmic series of events happened for him and he ended up getting a little weekend job on a milk float, running in and out of houses to try and, you know, collect the money. Um, but it turned out this was also a heroin round. And he, before he knew it, he had delivered heroin. Um, and inadvertently. Inadvertently, he was told to by, by Brian Kenny. And then he became terrified that he'd done it. And, and all the guilt and terror of that was used in the grooming process. Similar, really, to how kids are, you know, groomed by paedophiles. They are groomed in the same way by, by you know, people in the drugs world. They see the vulnerable, they choose the vulnerable and um, they bring them in and, and before they can, before the child really knows what's happening, they're in that world and they don't see a way out. And that's exactly what happened, Joey. He was, before he knew it, he was right into the middle of it and for him at that time as the child's mind, he couldn't see a way out. Yeah, it's interesting
0: that you mention um, paedophilia because a lot of... Um kids who are groomed and preyed upon often don't speak up because of the sense of shame and guilt that surrounds them yeah um and they feel violated dirty and and criminal themselves yes, yes. and so they don't speak out and you're saying it's this similar emotion that um Joey would have gone through having realized he had already Um, sold heroin inadvertently.
1: Like, absolutely. His father, while his father was a violent alcoholic, he was also a member of the Concerned Parents Against Drugs back in the 80s and would have been somebody who marched on houses and shouted pushers out and who, he beat up drug users uh, in in the book Joey's Language that he grew up with, had street language, he calls them junkies. And the father would have beaten them up and everything about drug dealing was a no-no in his world. Bit of a
0: vigilante, yeah. The father father. was
1: absolutely, but he was also an
0: incredibly violent man at home as well. He was. What kind of stuff did he get up to? He
1: saw himself as a provo, or he sort of would have described himself as a provo, and uh, he beat the living daylights out of Joey's mother. I mean through she was married at 18 to him and he was older than her and he beat her during her pregnancies he horrendous horrendous beatings they eventually split up she got a barring order against him and he moved out now he Joey would have still gone to stay with him at the weekends and he was really the only child that escaped his um his violence he was the youngest and kind of the favorite and uh but, you know, what was normal to him might be abnormal to the rest of us. Just his father never came out, just drank all day, drank beer after beer after beer and smoked cigarettes and roared and shouted at uh, drug users because they were worse than him, you know. Um, so, yeah, he'd all that growing up and he was only a child when he first took the heroin into his hand and put it through a a letterbox. He'd also, I suppose, grown up in Towers, where there was drug users, you know, lying unconscious outside his door every morning he got up and, you know, he saw... From this child's eyes, he saw these drug users as zombies. He heard about the virus. All these things were part of his childhood. So for him, you know, he was terrified the first time he delivered the hair. And was he going to, was the person who took it going to kill, was they going to die? Was it going to be his fault? What would his father say? What would his mother say? So all of that culminated into just this huge sense of guilt and feeling that he couldn't reach out to anyone and tell them what was happening. Mm. And so, he became trapped.
0: Yeah, and so how long was he trapped for? And yeah, what was the what was the moment that led him to go? I need to get out of this. I need to squeal.
1: Yeah, well, he, he basically ended up working for Brian Kenny, delivering his drugs, collecting heroin, you know, cocaine, uh, selling to, to drug users all over the city. He had drugs strapped to his body and he strapped, he drove across the city on a motorbike, transporting them. He did absolutely everything. He was schooled and in the world of, of gangland. He was taught how to break into houses. He was taught how to steal cars, you name it. And... Uh, yeah, and things just got darker and darker within Brian Kenny's world as he became. Kenny would have been very ambitious; would have been coming up along the lines of uh, the Marlowe Highlands. You might remember hearing of him and other big gangland criminals. He wanted to be one of the biggies, and he was getting more and more violent as as the years went on. When Joey was eighteen. Um, Kenny went out one day and he came back and, and handed Joey um, the leathers from his bike and, and a motorbike told him to get rid of them. He was could see something serious had happened and he then handed him a gun and he told him that he needed to bury it, get rid of it quickly. On the news within a few hours was that a young man called Jonathan O'Reilly had been murdered, shot dead outside Cloverhill Prison and it was Kenny had committed that murder and had given Joey the gun to get rid of. For him that was just a step too far taking another human life. He, um, So he somewhere
0: somewhere along the line he held on to some moral code.
1: I think he always had a moral code because actually he had a strong uh, relationship with his mother all the way through even though they sort of lost one another for a while. He, he always knew she had a very strong moral code and yeah, he did have that. I mean, he used to feel sorry for the drug addicts when he was selling them the drugs if they didn't have the money. Like he was a pretty bad drug dealer, to be honest with you. Mm. He didn't have that violence in him or that nastiness in him that uh, I think you probably needed. Uh, But the murder was just absolutely a step too far for him. This was just sort of woke him up nearly.
0: This is crossing the Rubicon and he decided this is where I want out. Absolutely. How do you engineer a situation like that? How do you how do you suddenly say I want out, but this is going to be tricky? What do you do?
1: Yeah, because it's a little bit of a uh, it's like standing on a seesaw. Sometimes staying in is safer than getting out. You know, getting out is really, really dangerous. But nonetheless, he just, he he sort of connected with this young chap who'd been murdered. He felt so sorry for his family. He just felt it was so wrong. And he thought he was going to get murdered too if he stayed. So he just waited up and he decided he had to get out. He He ran one night and he got back to his mother. And he, he went to his mother and he collapsed into her arms and he asked her what he should do. And she told him that he had to do the right thing, which was to go to the police to tell them about the murder, to tell them that Brian Kenny had committed it and to lead them to the gun and to the other evidence that he had hidden. And that's exactly what he did. Um at 19 years of age, he was signed on to the witness protection programme as he waited to give evidence against Kenny and his cohort, Thomas Hinchin, in, in, uh, in court. That was, <laughs> I would have considered that to be nearly scarier than the world he came out of because, you know, he was facing them down in court. If, if his evidence wasn't believed, he was dead. There was absolutely no question, but they were going to kill him. And um, all he had really on his side was the truth. And he had to, to go in and, and sit in a courtroom and, and give evidence while being hissed at and called a rat and all those other things, yeah.
0: Okay, well, I'm going to ask you about the Witness Protection Programme uh, in a minute, Nicola. Will you stay with me? I will. Thanks a million. Okay, back after this. Mario's Sunday Roast on Today FM with Mario Rosenstock. Today Mario's Sunday Roast, I'm here with top uh, crime reporter and author, and Nick uh, Nicola Talent, and Nicola's telling me the the, the very colourful and sad story of um, Joey the Lips O'Callaghan, um, a young boy who experienced um, a lot of trauma in his youth um, and became inadvertently a drug drug dealer um, in the company of a man called Brian Kenny, um, using a milk float in Blanchardstown, um, but later... Um, kind of showed a moral, um, moral strength by trying to get out, doing the really hard thing that, for a criminal of, of walking on a seesaw, as Nicola says, and trying to get out. Uh, he witnesses, or he is a witness, or he's party to, or a knowledge of, uh, murder. Um, and he decides murder is going too far. I'm going to rat, squeal, I'm going to break the code the code that can't be broken, the code of Omerta on the other criminals. And Nicola was telling me that just on the part where he goes into court and he is going to give evidence. Now, Nicola, when you give evidence in a position like this, the baddies come into court as well, don't they? And they hiss at you and they look at you. I mean,
1: court is a really tense place. Anyway, I cover courts have done for years. More recently, the special criminal court, which is where the the gangland criminals are tried now, where there's no jury. In Joey's case, back in 2004, 2005, when the trial started, there was a jury and uh, a judge. And initially, Brian Kenny had looked for bail. Which means when you get out of prison, while you're pe- you're waiting your trial, uh, he made the application, so it had to be. So Joey's basically picked up one morning by his Garda handlers, because at this point he's living within the witness protection program. He's under protection, and he is uh, a massive threat. His security is a huge, a huge threat because obviously, if he's dead before the trial starts, he can't give evidence. So that's the logic of. Uh, from the criminal mind but Joey had to go in and give evidence the first time when when he was looking for bail Brian Kenny he didn't know what to expect he went into an absolutely packed courtroom and was placed in in the the witness stand right beside uh, our opposite Brian Kenny uh, who was jumping up and down in his seat and sort of pointing at him and and motioning at him in the court and uh, in the i suppose in the body of the courtroom There was everybody from that world he had existed in for for so long. There was associates of of Kenny, associates of his cohort, Thomas Hinchin, who was also facing trial for murder. Um, And faces, I suppose, from Joey's past, the likes of Eamon the Don Dunn, uh, who was a very upcoming drug dealer at that point. He was later murdered, having been uh, suspected of himself murdering 17 people. So very, very dangerous characters. And they're all there looking at him at him, trying to intimidate him in the courtroom, basically to not give evidence, to to make him so fearful but that that's he's
0: absolutely terrifying for him. Yeah. So he's nineteen. Mm-hmm. He's in a witness protection program. He then goes into court and he sees these guys in court, mm-hmm. basically jumping up and down, hissing and gouging at him. Yeah. And like
1: it just must be.
0: He must be completely traumatized trying to give evidence.
1: Totally, but nonetheless, he he gave his evidence yeah. that day and delivered it. Delivered it. There was a, a guard in court at the time who was uh, would later say that to Joey that he knew that day he gave evidence that he was going to convict two killers. Yeah. He was so truthful, genuine honest you know there was no there was no acting here he was just telling it as it was
0: and up to that point sorry Joey had been in a witness protection programme I was just asking you off air there before he came on we all are familiar with Goodfellas and Ray Liotta in, yes. uh, in in Goodfellas, and at the end, he's on a witness protection program. I'm just a schmuck like everybody else. I have mm-hmm. to make my own spaghetti, get my own papers. It's crap, <laughs> you know. But what's an Irish <laughs> witness protection program like? Yeah,
1: without the accent, I suppose. be yeah. really, pretty much the same. Uh, basically, it is pretty grim and pretty lonely. You are taken, removed completely from everything you know, from your family, from your friends, from your community. You are hidden in a safe house um, in Ireland. It could be could be out of the jurisdiction mm-hmm. as well, pending the court case, um, and then you could be brought back into the jurisdiction. And do you, to you live give on evidence. your own. You live on your own. Uh, you have guard handlers. Where you have wh- where where, where do you are the
0: guard, guard the handlers? The
1: guard handlers or the police handlers are part of the system.
0: Yeah, basically. but where are they though? Outside the door.
1: Not necessarily. Depending on the level of the threat. When Joey was in the witness protection program, at one point he was living in a safe house, and he got a phone call at you know early hours of the morning. There was a hit team on the way to to kill him. This was before the court case. They found his phone number. They they the guards picked up intelligence that these guys were on the way, and they actually arrested them in Dublin um, on their way to kill him. Mm. So. It's tense. It is extremely tense and people have to try and live an ordinary life while they're on it. The state can't be seen to be giving them any incentive to give evidence. So therefore, in many cases, they'd be on social welfare and they're living like that you know in all cases pretty much they're on social welfare I don't think I know of a situation where somebody was working and uh, So he's
0: on his own in a house and presumably he's hardly able to go out he's kind of yeah. living in a quarantine situation uh, Well
1: do you know what don't we all know a little bit yeah. what it's like now <laughs> We're that's, all in
0: a national witness protection programme That
1: is actually exactly what it's like <laughs> and you know those early days when everybody was staying in it was pretty <laughs> jail-like wasn't it certainly wasn't my house um, but yeah that's what it's like that is exactly what what it's like. And um I suppose instead of COVID being the threat, it's a bullet that is is the threat of what could happen you if you're spotted, if you're seen. Um, you know, Ireland's quite small really and Dublin's quite a small city. I run into people I don't want to run into all the time myself. So I can only imagine what it's like if you're in a situation that, like Joey is at um, the point of the witness protection is the witness is protected until they give their evidence, and then they're signed off the program and they're they're they, the the guards. There is a lot of partnering agencies around the world, and they will facilitate a new fresh life for them with a fresh identity, new PPS right? numbers. Yeah. So after
0: you give evidence,
1: you're gone. You're a ghost. You're you can they can they can disappear you. Oh, you disappear. And mm-hmm. you can never contact your family, your friends, or anybody you knew again. You live under an assumed identity oh, in a new country. It's really hard psychologically, yeah. which is really why it probably didn't suit Joey. He was only very young, the youngest person ever to be signed on to it. Um, and he had a lot of trauma. He was carrying a lot of trauma with him. In some cases, people who give evidence would be pretty streetwise. I mean, the first witness, protected witnesses in this country were Charlie Bowden and Russell Warren, who gave evidence against John Gilligan. They had been in John Gilligan's gang. One of them cleaned and loaded the gun and got jail time before he was, uh, you know, given his new identity outside the country. So there'd be a little bit more robust characters that are on it. Uh, for some people, it suits. It's exactly what they need, a fresh start in a fresh country. Others struggle. Um, and certainly Joey was one that struggled with it but he subsequently he gave evidence that day he went back onto the programme he went back into hiding and then he was brought for the trial they both pleaded not guilty not guilty to murder of Jonathan O'Reilly and not guilty of threatening to murder Joey O'Callaghan he's brought to give evidence in court he has to tell his story he has to tell the jury um, made up of ordinary members of society you know what had happened and he has to hope Like hell, they believe him because if they don't and, and they're found not guilty, as I said, they would be, they would be freed. And I don't really know. Well, I do know what would have happened to him. He certainly wouldn't have been alive to speak to me. There's just no doubt about that. Um, so it was all very, very tough, but the witness protection program, the reason we have it is because as a society, we, ask people to come forward to give evidence. We have to. We have a very robust justice system that everybody is 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 innocent until found guilty. And there's a, a, a really, it's really difficult actually to get a guilty verdict through. Um, the cases the guards put together are, have to be absolutely watertight to get a guilty verdict. I mean, Uh, So we do as a society, we ask people to come forward and to be truthful and honest and to help us as a society jail dangerous people like Brian Kenny and Thomas Hinchin and to to facilitate brave people that do that, we provide this witness protection programme and we, in a way, we're supposed to be standing shoulder to shoulder with them as a society, as they stand in that court alone to give evidence. So that's why we have it. That's Mm. why it's there. And it's a secretive thing. And um, there's not many answers. You know, if you ask guards officially for answers about it and how it runs, you won't get it because Mm. it's secretive. But in a way, I think that slightly makes it unaccountable, which isn't right. It's funded by taxpayers' money. And very vulnerable people go into it. And we have to be sure that they're being looked after.
0: Nicola, you look healthy, you look fresh, <laughs> you don't look haggard, you don't look tired. Oh, wow. Your eyes She's aren't... You've got a nice, hang- well, nice sleep, the, nice. The reason I'm saying that is because if I was in your position, I'd just be permanently shitting myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I wonder what kind of brain you have that makes you, you see you're thriving, you, you, you're happy, I can see it, you, you, you're at peace with yourself being able to do this. You look healthy, you look Ooh. fresh. You obviously love what you do, but do you never feel? Um, um, do you never feel unstable or insecure?
1: Oh God! I mean, don't we all?
0: Like no, I meant I'd be physically abnormal. insecure.
1: Well, when I do, there are systems in place that, if there is any genuine threats, there are systems in place for me that have you know that work and that I'm comfortable with, and it's a bit of a difficult one to talk about because, for obvious reasons, but I suppose, you know, look, journalists are part of the system. There are guards out there kicking in doors every day. There are solicitors who are putting criminals away in prison. There are prison officers who are holding them there. There's lots of people who do jobs that bring them into contact with people of lesser morals, I suppose. But yet everybody is just doing job and you, you sort of separate it a little bit like that and and hopefully most people do. It's sort of in the in the crime world there's a certain acceptance really that you know
0: You're there. Per- yes. And there's an acceptance maybe that if they, for example, took you out mm. that another one would come in your place. Well,
1: perhaps yeah, if anybody was stupid enough. There's just an acceptance that you're there and um you know, look, a lot of them don't like it. Some of them like it a little bit, you know. There's no doubt about it that uh, sometimes for a criminal getting into the Sunday World is like getting into Hello <laughs> Magazine. Jesus Christ, you know that's know. the truth of it. I know. Um, what
0: nickname did you get? Yeah, and the so librarian—that's they... crap. <laughs> the librarian, rubbish. Johnny, the librarian. Oh, two.
1: That would be bad. That's crap.
0: Could <laughs> they not have called you the Viper or a Stove?
1: <laughs> that would be bad do you know yeah. sometimes you think these nicknames are so uh, complex and and they're not I had never considered why the penguin what's your favourite nickname well I'd never considered why the penguin was called he the walked penguin. like a penguin didn't he, he literally I mean I, I had a tip off a couple of years ago that he was in Germany of all places and I was standing on a bridge kind of having had a few days of not having spotted him and I looked down the street, and a human penguin was coming towards me. <laughs> I swear to God, like even though I couldn't see him from the distance, yeah. I was at it was him. Was so when the guards, no so when
0: the guards think they've nearly got him, they're there over pick up a penguin. Pick up a sorry stupid joke.
1: I actually stupid joke, not a stupid joke. I sent that text to my editor at the time when I had got him. I just sent him a little text, in. I've just picked pick the Yeah, you go. We're taking along the same lines. Yes, wow. delighted with that. I was sort of a milestone in my life. I wanted to send that text at some stage. Very interesting, um, Nicola.
0: Well, listen, um, we'll, call, we'll call it quits there. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to me. I love your appearances on Eamon Dunphy's The Stand. Maybe at another time I could go in and uh, talk to you about uh, some of the issues concerning those appearances. There was a guy called Noel Duggan I thought yeah. was making a very interesting story. Um, thank you very much for coming in, uh, Nicola. Uh, yes, things are getting back to normal slightly here, as you can see. So, yeah. um, The book is called The Witness. It's out now. It's about Joey the Lips O'Callaghan and uh, the very best of luck with it. Back after this.
1: Mario Sunday Roast on Today FM with Mario Rosenstock.